Well, good morning. I'm excited to be here with you this morning. My name is Billy Berglund, and I get a chance to work with the students here at South Fellowship Church, and it's an honor and a privilege. My wife, Hannah, and I, we've been here for the past three and a half years. We just thank you so much for welcoming us and just making us feel at home in this body. We're just so excited for all that God is doing in and through this church. But this morning, I want to start by talking about expectations, about how we really look forward to something, and then it maybe turns out differently than we expect. You can imagine with me for a second that it's Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening, and I'm sad to say this happens to me quite frequently, but I get hungry, and not just hungry for any kind of food. I get hungry for chicken on Sundays, but not just any chicken. I get hungry for Christian chicken (laughs) on Sundays. So I get in my car and I drive over to Chick-fil-A on Sunday afternoon only to find that it's closed on Sundays. And in the words of the great comedian Tim Hawkins, Chick-fil-A, what a dirty, rotten trick to play. But you know, I think this happens in our lives in a lot of ways. I remember being a kindergartner and being handed a sheet of paper and they said, you could draw anything that you want to be when you grew up. So some kids, you know, dreamed big and they wanted to be astronauts or do all sorts of different things. But I didn't just want to do something. I knew what I was going to do someday. And this is what I drew. I wanted to be an artist. I figured that this is what I love to do. I spent all my time drawing. But as you can see from this painting, I maybe wasn't cut out for it. Uh, The feet don't quite look right. I don't really have hands. I can't show emotion. And I'm wearing a toupee, I guess. But... This is, not, this is not what I was called out to be. And you know, I think in our lives sometimes, this happens a lot, that we look forward to a certain thing, and it turns out differently. You know, we find ourselves here at the end of a year, 2018, and as we look back, we're coming out of this Christmas season, we're about to enter into a new year, and we get a chance to kind of pause and reflect on the past year, perhaps the past couple of years. And all that has taken place, perhaps there were some great milestones, some awesome memories that took place this year. Or maybe there was some heartbreak. Maybe we lost a loved one or an unexpected illness that came. Or maybe we celebrated a birth, a new life that came over the year. Or maybe we're in a time of transition in between jobs or we lost a job and we're kind of in this in-between time. But we bring all of that into this time today as we come to the end of a year If you're anything like me, at times, these unexpected things that happen can sometimes lead us to feel a little bit uncertain, a little bit unsure of what's going on in the future and what's going to happen going forward, and we end up being a little bit weary. We feel like all that life throws at us, it becomes busy, and we come to this end of the year, we may be just coming out of the holidays, and we're feeling a little bit exhausted or weary, unsure of what the next step is. I think we've, we've all had times and seasons like this. I think deep within us, there's this longing to have a joyful, have an abundant life. And yet so often, life doesn't seem like it works that way. We seem like we're just getting by, or we're just trying to do the next thing. And we come to the end of a year, and it provides a sense of hope. We have these New Year's resolutions that this year's the year that we're going to get in shape. We're going to go to the gym, or this year we're going to read a certain number of books, or we set financial goals in all sorts of areas of our life. We make goals and resolutions. And then as another year comes in, we get interruption and other unexpected things come up and sometimes life just gets crowded 
and busy, and we wonder, what does it look like to have this joyful, abundant life that we long for? Well, this morning, we're going to be studying in God's Word. We're going to look at Jesus' words this morning, and he's going to talk a little bit about what it looks like to draw strength for each day, to live in Him, and what that looks like in our lives. In the midst of lives that are so crazy at times, that unexpected things happen, it can be chaotic, but we can find ourselves in Him. It doesn't mean that all of our pain and all of our struggles will go away or just disappear, but it does mean that we can have confidence and strength in Him. As we jump in this morning, let's open in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for your word. I pray that you will just speak clearly to us this morning. I pray that you will just show us what you'd like us to see, have us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you turn with me, we're going to be in John chapter 15. We're going to be studying the first 17 verses of John 15 this morning. This passage, it takes place right in the middle of this farewell discourse for Jesus. It kind of spans John 13, the middle of John 13 to the end of John 16. And Jesus is giving his final instructions to his followers right before the time before his arrest and his crucifixion. And in this time, Jesus has this intimate time with them. He washes their feet. He explains how he's the way, the truth, and the life. He, he promises the coming of the Holy Spirit before he, when he gets taken away, that it will come and indwell believers. And now we find ourselves in John 15. We're going to take this in kind of two main chunks this morning. The first will be verses 1 through 8, and I'll be reading from the ESV translation this morning. This is what Jesus says. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned." If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What we see here in this passage is that Jesus is giving us a metaphor that he is the vine. He is the source of true life. And the Father is the vine dresser or the gardener which helps us bear more fruit. And we are the branches who are designed to stay connected to the vine. This imagery would have been really powerful at this time. This was something that was really well known by people in that time, but it also connected back with the Old Testament and Israel, something that they would have immediately recognized that Israel as God's covenant people was originally the vine. But now Jesus is saying that he is the true vine. He is the only way, the only way to bear fruit is in him. He is the true Israel. And in the Gospel of John, there are seven I am statements where Jesus tells us who he is. We have seen that he is the bread of life. He is the light of the world, the door of the sheep, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, the door of the sheep, and now he's the true vine. And each of these, they hold deep meaning. But today we focus in on this last one, the true vine. 
as you see just at a first glance at this passage, you see repetition of the word abide. I've highlighted it in yellow as we see the word abide appear over and over and over. Abide in me, abide in my love, abide in me and I in you. If you have the NIV translation, it reads remain. This idea of staying in connection to the life source to have true life in him. And then also there's the result of this, the result of abiding in him is that we have a fruitful life, that we see that throughout the passage as well, that we bear fruit. Basically to bear fruit is to, to lead a fruitful life that has true joy, love, and peace coming from our lives, to advance the work of God in the world, to overflow with love, to seek to build others up in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit, Paul lists in Galatians 5, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's a life marked by these characteristics. Basically, people that are bearing fruit, you hope that you get to sit next to them on a flight. You hope that these are the people that get sit to ne sit next to you, that you get to be around. We have this magnetic draw to these types of people. We want to be around them, people who are bearing fruit. But as we look at this passage, we see a lot in this. In verse 2, we see that fruitful branches get cut back as God often uses discipline or allows us to go through trials in our lives to strengthen our character and strengthen our faith. Maybe not in ways that we would choose, but in ways that he is growing our faith and helping us become more fruitful. But he also says that unfruitful branches are cut off. They are thrown away, taken away. And he picks that up in verse 6 as he says, not abiding in Jesus leads to, be leads to being separated from the life source. Those that haven't found their life in Jesus are taken away, and he says that they are burned and taken away. It's not enough, Jesus is saying, just to be around him, but we need to find our life in him, to draw our true life from him. Not just to make a superficial commitment to him, but he desires that we truly have faith in him and abide in him. This brings God's, glo God's glory, and we show evidence of being truly being followers of Jesus as we bear fruit in our lives. But one thing that really stands out to me from this is he says, abide in me and I in you. That this relationship, this connection to Jesus, that for all believers, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, that abiding is a reality. It is something that is certain, as we've sung about this morning, that Jesus will not let us go. That our faith is secure in him. Our lives are hidden in him. We are united to him, being in connection to the vine. John 10 and Romans 8 talk about how our, we are secure in God's love for us. And that is very certain in this. But also, as we see in this passage, that abiding is a reality, and it's also a command. It's something that we are continuing to grow in, so we can bear more fruit, that our lives become more evident of bearing fruit in the world. And as verses 4 and 5 make very clear that we cannot bear fruit apart from the vine. We must stay in connection to him. That we abide in him and he abides in us. And this helps our faith grow. It helps us live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus as we follow him on a daily basis. And so what we see this morning from John 15 is that God's design is for us to find life in the vine. This is how we were made, even in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of confusion, or whatever life throws at us, that we were designed to find life in him and to stay in connection to him. But I think this begs a question as we think about this passage, as we think about this word, what does it mean to abide? 
we can kind of talk about, you know, vaguely about how we stay in connection to him and how that's important. But what does that actually look like? What does it mean to have this life-giving and growing, fruitful relationship to God? How do we grow in him? How do we remain in him? And what are the implications of this? This morning, I really want to just dive into that, to look at it very practically, very tangibly, as we come to the end of a year, as we launch into a new year, on what it actually means to abide in Jesus. And to do that, I've created an acronym for the word abide. I don't do this to sound overly simplistic or that it's some magical formula or too basic, but I I hope that this is going to be helpful to us, hopefully a memorable tool that we can use, that we can come back to to understand what it truly looks like to find our life in the vine, to find our life in connection to Jesus. And so if you have a, a handout, there are, it's just a blank sheet in your notes, but you could organize it this way as we kind of look at what it means to abide in Jesus. So as we jump into this, the first two is to actively be. It's kind of, this is technically two, but as we've seen in this passage that growing in our faith, it takes effort and action. Abiding in Jesus is not something that just happens passively, but it takes effort on our part to put in the work to grow in our faith. But as we hear that, it can kind of seem counter to this idea of grace, this idea that we are saved by grace, that God's grace sustains us, and it can seem a little bit like it's kind of at odds with that. But in reality, that it's true that we are saved completely by Jesus Christ, by his grace, by his life, death, and resurrection, we put our faith in him, that our faith in him is secure, as we've looked at, that this is a reality for all believers, but that this grace then sustains us. This grace is our source of strength as we continue to grow. I love the way that Dallas Willard puts it. I figure if I'm filling in for Ryan Paulson, I should probably quote Dallas Willard. It just seems right. But honestly, Dallas Willard's uh, book, The Great Omission, is a wonderful resource in this regard. And he has this quote. He says, Grace is not opposed to effort, It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. So as we live in grace, as we realize that God's grace is sufficient for us in each and every moment, that we get to participate in this, that we put forth effort to grow in our faith, but at all times we're being enabled and sustained by God's grace, that he will not let us go, and we are firm in our relationship with him. This is very important for us to see from the start. That sometimes we think of the gospel as just saving us from our sins, and then someday we'll go to heaven. And that's all that we think of the gospel as. And while that's absolutely true, there's so much more to it. The gospel does not just save us from our sins, but it transforms us here and now, in each and every day of our lives. Willard goes on to say that the beauty of the gospel is that you can have new life now in the kingdom of God. If you trust Jesus in every aspect of your life, to grow as a disciple, to grow in living in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. It's a life of learning from Jesus Christ how to live in the kingdom of God now, as he himself did. And this is supported by grace. And so as we do this, it takes well-intentioned action on our part, and we don't just do it alone, but we do it with others in a community of fellowship together. And we're going to look at that more this morning. But in light of that, we see that the first aspect of abiding is this active effort, not earning, but grace-driven effort as we actively be. And the second part, we actively be immersed in God's word. Immersed in God's word. 
we bear fruit, we grow in our faith as we stay in connection to the vine, as we abide in God's word, as we let his word impact our hearts and our minds, as we truly immerse ourselves in it, head first to jump in. I think of sitting on the side of a pool or a lake, and we're kind of tentative, and we put our, our toes in, and we're a little bit hesitant. And then we have that one friend who just comes running down and does a full cannonball into the water, just completely jumps in. He's all in. And when I think of that, when I think of God's word, I want to be the same way, to be immersed in God's word. In John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Connection to Jesus involves continuing to follow, to trust, and believe in him, to obey his commands. As, Jesus, as John 15, 7 says, to have his words abide in us. And so being immersed in God's word, it helps us to know God better, to know his heart, and to live in obedience to his way. But I think it begs the question, what keeps us from reading God's word? I think so often we can be so busy, life can just come at us, and we just, that's something that kind of gets pushed to the side. Or we feel like we just got so much going on, and we just, maybe we feel guilty about it. I know I should read the Bible more. I mean, that's my story a bit. I, I knew I should read the Bible, but I didn't really know where to start. It kind of felt boring. I didn't really understand the story as a kid. And I think it, in some ways I began to view it as a task. Just as a I do the dishes, I take out the trash, I read my Bible, right? Just something that we do as part of our day. As opposed to viewing it as a way to connect with God, the way to stay in connection to our life source, to draw our life from Him. And I think I still have a long way to grow in that, to begin to, begin to fully experience the truth of God's Word and allow the Holy Spirit to work on me and my heart. But one thing I am sure of is that I've been profoundly shaped and impacted by people who have been immersed in God's word and are immersed in God's word. I think of coming downstairs in the morning and seeing my mom and dad just having the Bible open on their lap or at the kitchen table, just soaking in the words every morning. Or my mother-in-law and how she always sends us texts of encouragement and prayers for us that are just bathed in God's word. Or my father-in-law continuing to read through the Bible year after year. I think about a camp I had an opportunity to work at. There was a guy named Nasa. He was a big six-foot-six Samoan guy. And he just, every conversation that you had with him, it was just, God's word would just come out of him. And just an everyday conversation. And I just marveled at that. And he always carried around this little sheet of paper with just verses on it. He was always spending time just pouring into God's word. He wrote that sheet, uh, a sheet for me to memorize as well. First one was John 3.30, super short, and I got it. It said, he must become greater and I must become less. And he began to help me see that how every decision in my life gets put through that filter, that God must become greater. It's not about me. It's not about my kingdom. It's about him. I think about an opportunity I had. Sometimes the students, they don't believe me. I had a chance to meet Lecrae. He's a famous Christian rapper, and here's a photo of us. It's not photoshopped. I actually did get to meet him. If it was photoshopped, I probably would have untucked my shirt. I don't know why I tucked my leather shirt in my pants, but uh, anyways, I, I did. I wish I could have taken that back, but um, anyways, I did have a chance to meet Lecrae, and it was, it was awesome because he came and did a concert for us, and I got a chance just to, to meet with him and talk with him a little bit, and he has a rubber band around his, his wrist, and he is always memorizing God's word. He writes the first letter of each word of a verse and he's always whether he's traveling on the road at concerts he's always spending time memorizing God's word as we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly 
And you know, I think another reason why we don't immerse ourselves fully in God's word is that we don't understand the whole story. We don't understand the big picture or kind of where it fits. Like I, when I was growing up, I kind of just opened to a random page and then point and then hope that that was something that was, you know, and sometimes you get some weird stuff and you're like, I don't understand how this all fits together. I don't know what the big story is. And as I get a chance to work with youth, one of my big passions is that they understand the Bible as a story. That they understand, they get immersed in it to realize that this, on the pages of this story is our very life. That we understand that Jesus came into this world for us. And I developed this little, just nine shapes that I, it's kind of a 30,000 foot view of the story of scripture. And I have it here on my kind of chicken scratch drawing. Um, but on this what it is, is I think it's so important for us to see the big picture of Scripture, kind of from 30,000 feet, to see that at the heart of it all is that God desires a relationship with us. And that's at the very start. This O at the start represents creation, and that God created the heavens and the earth. He created humanity in his own image, and he was in a relationship with us. And this X represents that sin entered the picture, that the fall created this separation between us and God, and on our own efforts, we cannot be in a relationship with God. And that there's this, this forward arrow points to the time of the Old Testament. That after sin entered the picture, God didn't just give up on all of us. He didn't just say, I'm done with you. Instead, he pursued us. We see that right away in Genesis 3.15 as it points to the day when Jesus will come and ultimately defeat evil. And we see this forward arrow representing this anticipation of the time when this Messiah would come and God prepares his people. He chooses Abraham and his son Isaac and Jacob who becomes Israel. And throughout the story of Israel, that even when Israel is faithless, that God is faithful. And we see then this downward arrow, just like we celebrated at Christmas time, that Jesus comes into our world. He pursues us. He comes into the mess of humanity, takes on flesh. He lives a perfect life. He dies on the cross, right in the middle there, the cross. Dies for our sins, but death could not hold him. And on the third day, he rises again, this upward arrow. That he defeats evil, he provides a way for us by faith in him to be in a relationship with him. And then he ascends into heaven, and then this forward arrow representing this time that we live on mission now. It extends from the book of Acts all the way up until Revelation. And we find ourselves in this time now, we were living on mission, God's great, Jesus' great commission to go and make disciples, teaching them to obey my commands, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That we look forward to a day with anticipation when Jesus will come back the second time, that downward arrow there towards the end. That he'll come back, he'll make all things right, he will finally and fully establish his kingdom and defeat evil and once again, this, oh, this circle at the end, that there will be a new heavens and a new earth where we'll be in a relationship with Jesus forever. We'll be in communion with God. We'll have resurrected bodies. And this is something that gives us hope. And I think by understanding this big picture of Scripture, it helps us as we enter into whatever passage, whatever story that we're reading to understand that God desires this relationship with us. And so I think... Uh, the, the challenge I have today is what would it look like? What would it be one step that we could take in 2019? A lot of people take on maybe the Bible in a year challenge, but to have a reading plan. On our phones, there's all kinds of apps, all sorts of things that we can use to help us stay regular on, on a pattern of, of reading God's word. But maybe the Bible in a year is too big of a challenge. Maybe just do one chapter a day. Maybe just one passage a day. You could pick one of the Gospels and read from now until Easter to really pour into it, to talk about Jesus' birth all the way up until his death and resurrection. 
just to let Jesus' words dwell in us richly. It will change us and transform us as we're immersed in his word. Maybe read with a friend. Maybe ask someone in the congregation if, they could, if you could read with them. Set up a time to go to the coffee shop and just be able to get poured into God's word, to dive into it together. So what could that step be for you in 2019? Well, the next, as we go back to the acronym, we see that to actively be immersed in God's word and now dependent on God's strength. As John 15 highlights that we find our very life from the vine. We live in dependence, just like a branch needs the vine for sap and for nutrients. We must find our life in the vine, not just one time, but a daily submitting to the Lord to allow him to give us strength, to find our dependence in him. As John 15, 4 says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch can't bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We must stay and remain dependent in the vine to bear fruit, to make a lasting impact for the Lord in the world. We receive this life as we live dependence on him, as we come to him in daily prayer. But we live in a time and an age where this is not natural. The world tells us that we must be self-sufficient, that we've got to find it within ourselves to try harder, just rely on yourselves that you can do it, just to, to achieve more, to be better, to fix yourself, just look inside that you can do it. And while it's certainly not wrong to work hard, we can easily find ourselves living and operating in self-reliance. That we think we can just do this on our own strength, the strengths that God has given us, the giftings and talents that he's given us. We begin just to rely on ourselves, to think that we can do it all by ourselves even as we do things for the Lord. The truth is that our motives aren't always wrong. We want to do things for God. We want to bear fruit. We want to make an impact. I know I've certainly connected with this. I, I want to do things for God, but I, so often I find myself just relying on my own strength. I want to do things for him instead of spending time with him. Early in my relationship uh, with my wife, I figured what she wanted most of all was for me just to do things for her to buy her flowers, to buy gifts for her, to do the dishes, uh, to cook for her. I tried that once, and I broke our crock pot. That was a little expensive. Um, but while she appreciates those things, and I was telling her about this example, and she goes, I'd probably love it if you did the dishes a little bit more. Uh, but she, she appreciates those things. But what she really wants is to spend quality time with me. That's what she wants more than anything. It's one of her highest love languages. She loves the flowers and the gifts and the things, but what she cherishes is time together. And I believe Jesus wants the same thing with us. We're so quick to rush to want to do things for him that we don't spend our lives living in dependence on him. And as a result, we sometimes find ourselves burned out and exhausted and tired as we're living on our own strength. I love the way that Pete Scazzaro puts it in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, where he talks about we can't be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. We have to do the hard work of getting to know ourselves, to know our past as we look to the future, as we find our true self in union with God. And he says this in the book. He says, our activity for God can only properly flow from a life with God. We cannot give what we do not possess. I think that's so important. If we're trying to do work for God, but we're not drawing our strength from him, we're going to need approval from others. We're going to seek power. It's going to be about our own ego and our own kingdom and about all about us instead of drawing our strength from him 
as we reflect that because we cannot give what we do not possess. I think that's exactly what Jesus is saying here in John 15, that God's design for us is to find life in the vine, in this daily dependence. It doesn't mean that he's going to take away all of our problems or our pain or that, that unexpected things still won't come, but what it does mean is that he deeply loves us and he's still at work in us, and he promises to be with us in the midst of all that life throws at us. I think an example of this that's been powerful for me, this is a, a picture of the Currys. They are a family that lives in Omaha, Nebraska, where I grew up. And Jason is a big reason why I'm in ministry today, why I'm passionate about working with students. Jason was my Young Life uh, Youth for Christ director. He would teach me about, in small groups, about what it means to follow Jesus. He'd come to my sporting events. He'd hang out with us, play games with us, do ridiculous things, whatever we do as kids. All the way through middle school and high school, Jason was there. Jason would send me texts of encouragement when I was down. He would, he would just tell me how he's proud of me. And, th and the thing is, wife Christy, she's really, really involved as well in this Youth for Christ, mentoring and discipling women. And earlier this year, they found out that Christy's has uh, stage four breast cancer. And they look like, you know, this, this great, healthy family. And it breaks your heart to think that they are wrestling with this. And this idea of depend, being dependent on God's strength becomes to a whole new level for them. That every single day through chemo treatments, through all sorts of options, they're trying to just do one day at a time. And what's so remarkable to me is that in the midst of all of that, that they are bringing glory to God. They are pointing others to the hope of Jesus Christ. Even as her body is, is sick and how they're doing chemo and, and all of the, the treatments, it just is remarkable to me how they are rooted so strongly on, on dependence on the Lord. They have this little thing at the end of each of their posts. They give updates on Facebook and social media. They talk about how hope is rising. That they know that their hope goes beyond this earth. That they know one day they're going to spend, she's going to spend eternity with God. And this gives us hope. And they're, they're pointing others to Christ. What stands out, again, even more strongly was this fall. I was struggling with some, just some insecurities and some doubts just in a, some things that were kind of unexpected that came up in my own life. And Jason reached out to me and he just said, hey man, I'm praying for you. I love you. He said, I am proud of you. You're doing a good job. And he pointed me back to scripture. And he shared some verses that he's been, been wrestling with and, and just in his own life. And that's just so incredible to me that in the midst of his own deep pain, that he could reach out and encourage me. Because people who are living dependent on God's strength are secure in him. They know where their hope is, and they're able to extend that to the world. And so what's so and remarkable about that is that he, he doesn't know what the future holds. They don't know what tomorrow holds. They don't know what's going to happen down the road. But they know who holds the future in his hand. And so what would this look like for you this year? What's one step that you can take in 2019 to live dependent on God's strength, to live in daily dependence on him, to realize that his grace is sufficient, sufficient for us each and every moment, to bring all of our concerns, our whole life to him and submit it to him, to draw strength for him, to realize that he has you right where you are in life for a reason, for a purpose, that he's not abandoned you, that he is with you, and that we can embrace the joy and potential of that. We can live in community with others to encourage us, to point us to truth when we fall short, when we are discouraged. We can walk with us. We allow ourselves to be known and not walk this journey alone. 
Earlier this year, Pastor Ryan encouraged us to do fixed hour prayer. Maybe at 9 or at noon and at 3, no matter what meeting we're going into or, or business deal or whatever that we have going on for the day, to just to pause and remember that we draw our strength from the Lord and to be intentional about that on a daily basis. And along with that, we come to our, our final part of this. To actively be immersed in God's word, dependent on God's strength, and empowered by God's love. Empowered by God's love. We're going to turn back to John 15. And we're going to look at the second half of this, pas- or this passage now, starting in verse 9. We'll be in 9 through 11 and then 12 through 17, the second half of this passage. And this is what Jesus says. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. That there is a loving relationship between God the Father, the the Son, and the Holy Spirit existing in this loving relationship that serves as a model for us. And as we see in this, that obeying God's commandments is how one way that we abide in Jesus' love. That obedience is not meant to be just drudgery that we have to do this, but this is what Jesus designed for us. That this is what he desires for us to have a full life. It leads to our joy like we see in verse 11. This is for our joy, even in the midst of opposition or trial, that we can have full joy in him. And he continues in verses 12 through 17. He says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. We see in this the deep love of God for us. That we become his friends, not just his servants. That we are in a relationship with him, this personal relationship that he wants to do life for us. And the love that Jesus has shown us, like we saw in the big story, that he came down and died for us while we were still sinners. So that we can be in a relationship with him by grace. I'm extremely passionate about this, especially as I work with young people who are being told that if you want to be loved, then you have to look a certain way, you have to act a certain way. Maybe if you get certain grades or if you perform just good enough, then maybe that you'll be loved. Maybe then you can be a, have approval from others. And if you don't, if you're not good enough, whatever it might be in a sport or a music, or whatever it might be, then you're worthless and you don't matter. And the reality of the gospel is so counter to that. That we have a God who loves us so deeply that he wants to be in a relationship so much with, uh, with us that he sends his son to die. That God pursues you because you are worth pursuing. That Jesus died for you because you are worth dying for. That he loves you so deeply and he just wants us to know, to realize that. And I think so often, I know in my own life, I struggle with the lies that I'm not good enough. That I don't measure up. That I'm a failure. That I'm not going to, I just can't achieve, I just can't live up to that, that I've failed, that I'm not enough, I can't do enough. But the reality that Jesus is pressing on my heart, and I believe he speaks to all of us, 
is he sees us. He sees us in our brokenness and in our insecurity and in our pain and our struggling. And he loves us. He pursues you because you're worth it. Not because we earn it, because we can't, but because of his love for us. And because of his relentless and amazing grace. He wants you to know how much you are loved. You are fully known. He knows everything about you and yet he still loves you. And the goal of this abiding, as we see in this passage, he says in verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. That as we understand the love and acceptance we have in Jesus Christ, this propels us to love others. He wants us to become love. Over the past year, I've been particularly impacted by a guy I've never met. <laughs> uh, but he's an author. His name is Bob Goff. And he lo I love this author. He's written two books uh, love does and everybody always, everybody always. He talks about these hilarious personal stories. You'll laugh and cry and be motivated uh, all at the same time. I want to share quotes from this, a few quotes from this book. My wife said I need to limit it because I had too many. Uh, I have like a list of 30 quotes, but I won't share all of those. Um, but I would encourage you to, to go and to, to get these books. But this is, some, this is some of the things that he says. He says, love isn't something we fall into. Love is someone we become. He said, Jesus talked to his friends a lot about how we should identify ourselves. He said, it wouldn't be what we said we believed or all the good that we hoped to do someday. He said, nope. He said he would we would identify ourselves simply by how we love people. It's tempting to think there's more to it than that, but there's not. Love isn't something we fall into. Love is someone we become. And then he says in that second quote, don't save up love like you're trying to retire on it. Give it away like you're made of it. That's what we're called to do. He, that's another quote. I'll share one more. Sorry, wife. Uh, he, said, he said, love difficult people because you're one of them, and I am too. And I think about this so often that we kind of tend to avoid people that don't just look like us or not exactly like us or that coworker that kind of smells funny or whatever it might be, that we don't want to be associated with them. But as we are understanding the love that God has for us, the deep love that he pursues us and he has a plan for our lives and a purpose, then we show that love to others. And I thought about this a lot over the course of the past year and how I sometimes hold back from showing love. I, I'm hesitant to because I don't know exactly what to do or what to say. I think I gotta be all perfect. I gotta have everything in my life all figured out if I'm gonna ever make a difference in somebody else's life. But over the years, I've become convinced that people don't want or need us to be perfect. They need us to be present. That our, present is, our presence is far more important than our perfection. Just go be with people. Get to know them. This is the heart of God. Love them deeply. Welcome them into your home. Pursue the people who are difficult to love because we're all difficult to love in some ways. Ask my wife. Don't ask. Uh, uh, and, <laughs> but what's one thing we could do this year to be empowered by God's love? What's one step we can take in 2019? Maybe it's for you. It's just very simply realizing that you are God's dearly loved child, that he sees you, he loves you, he has a plan for you, to remind yourself of that. Maybe another step you could take is to seek to love those difficult people in your life, to pursue them, the people you'd rather avoid, to be intentional, to see each day, each meeting, each conversation, each moment as an opportunity, not as an obligation, to encourage someone to smile at them, to listen to their story, Maybe write them a note card. Tell them you're thankful for them, that you see them and you love them. What could this be for you? God's design is for us to find life in the vine as we abide in him and has his love that will never let us go.
you know, as I've thought about this message, and um, God's really been pressing this on my heart for a long time, I've been praying through this and prepping this, I've kept coming back to this idea, and it's really stuck in my mind, and I just, I want to share this. I love to travel. My wife and I, we love it. We love to go to new places, to try new foods, all sorts of places. We just love that. And here are some amazing pictures. If you see this one, you can just see that out there, the, the calm waters. If you were to go to this place, you would love it. It is peaceful. It is calm. Check out this one. It just literally takes your breath away. Just to, to see this. If you, if you could go to this place, you would just love it. I can promise you that. And this one, just away from all the noise and the chaos, you just could go to this beach and it'd be peaceful. Or this one, just look at the colors just pop on this. This is just an incredibly peaceful place. Or this, the main sunset on the shore. You know, as I think about all those places, they all have one thing in common. I've never been to any of those places. Um, <laughs> you might be thinking, like, what are they paying this guy? No, I... I I've never been to any of those places. But you know, I think about that. I'd love to go there. Yeah, we, mostly when we travel just back to Nebraska to see family. Um, I could show you a picture of corn or some, whatever. Uh, but I think about those places. And, it, and this is an idea that was pressed on me in seminary about a year ago. That if we've never experienced these places, we're like travel agents to places that we've never been. And I think about that in my life. I don't want to just talk about abiding in Jesus. I don't want 2019 to be the year that I'm like, I had good intentions to do that. That I wanted to be in his word. I wanted to be dependent on his strength and empowered by his love. And I could tell other people, yeah, you should do this too because you'll love it. I want this to be the year I experience it. I want fullness of life with God. I want that for each of us. I love the mission statement here at South. To live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. And we don't always control what happens in our life, the unexpected circumstances and all the things that the craziness and the busyness, but I believe this is possible for each and every one of us, that we can get life from the vine, we remain in connection to him, that we can actually experience this, not just talk about it, but experience the fullness of life as a reality in 2019, that we're called to abide in Jesus, to actively be immersed in God's word dependent on God's strength, and empowered by God's love. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for today. I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that despite my imperfections and insecurities, that you love me, that you pursue me, that you don't give up on me. I just pray for each person in this room that they would know your love that they would be motivated and inspired to find their life in you, their true life in you, as they go into this 2019. No matter what happens this year, they could experience a full and rich life in you. I just thank you so much for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.